Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. everybody and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. This week I'm going to be chatting with Kendra Nelson. She's the new biologist at PNW Protectors and has done some work with sharks. She's also an influencer um, and we're going to talk about her experiences as well as the effects of parabens and toxins in the water. But just a couple announcements. I'm sure everyone already saw, but there are now 75 Southern resident killer whales. So um, Elpod had a baby. Um, we did unfortunately lose Star's baby. Star was J46 um, and she was seen pregnant and the calf that she had didn't make it. But surprise um, is L86 had a baby and that baby is L125. So this is super exciting. We now have 75 Southern resident killer whales. Um, and in other news, Pacific uh, Northwest Protectors, PNW Protectors, is working with Dr. Sylvia Earle on Mission Blue, and they've declared the Salish Sea a hope spot. Um, so between that, the new bill that John Simpson just put in place, and a baby whale, there's lots to celebrate. Um, so let's dive into our episode. But before we do that, just a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash breachingextinction and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's easy. Go to audible.com slash breachingextinction. I have Kendra Nelson here with me, um, and she's going to tell us about herself and toxins and some other things. So tell us, who are you, Kendra? What are you, what are you up to in this world? Um, yeah, hello. I'm Kendra Nelson. I am a marine biologist. I um, just moved away from Hawaii to Vancouver, Canada. Um, and in Hawaii, I was, I got my degree, so I got my bachelor's at BYU Hawaii on the North Shore of Oahu. And I got to work with fish. I had my hands in a bunch of different research projects. I was associated with One Ocean Diving, which was awesome. I have a lot of shark experience and I love sharks, Mm -hmm. Um, but I love orcas. And so that is part of the reason we've come out to the PNW is so I can be closer to the killer whales. And yeah, that's kind of my whole thing. That's awesome. how did you come to love killer whales in the ocean? Because if I remember correctly, you're from Arizona, right? Yes, I'm from born and born and adopted in Texas, and then moved to Arizona. Okay. Um, and we went to SeaWorld. That is my like yeah. origin story. Is like from a baby, we went to SeaWorld all the time, and I love the orcas since I was like nine months old. In our scrapbooks, it's like written down that mm-hmm. I loved the whales and didn't want to leave the stadium. And we do backstage tours all the time. And then we went to moved to Arizona, which then we'd go to San Diego, which is the pod that I gravitate the most towards and mm-hmm. like know a lot about is the mm-hmm. San Diego pod. Um, and we'd go every year we had SeaWorld passes and Disney passes. And so we just made a whole California trip multiple times a year. So um, fell in love with the orcas. I wanted to be a Shamu trainer. 
that changed when I was like 19. I was like, mm, I don't want to be a Shamu trainer because I don't really like SeaWorld. I think that it's, I don't love keeping killer whales in captivity and I don't really want to. And then I, I don't want to work there, but I also fell in love with research. And so I was like, I'd rather do research than just work at an aquarium for ever and just train whales, which is great. Mm-hmm. But just not, I, I kind of fell in love with something else and fell out of my standing with SeaWorld. So that was my whole like first love with orcas. Oh, that's a like that's definitely like a heartwarming story. Even though you know SeaWorld is rough, <laughs> I like we have a lot in common. I also have lived in Texas, am adopted, and got my start in at a zoo. Um, so I have like probably mixed feelings like you do with that. Of like, there's a lot of benefits, but there's also a lot of damage as well. Um, yeah, I worked at a zoo too. Yeah, there we go. Not even a good zoo. <laughs> Not, did they have cetaceans there? <laughs> No, we did have sea lions that were from SeaWorld San Diego. Interesting. Okay. But their um, their tanks are pretty dismal. Okay. Yeah, as they are. I didn't work with the sea lions. I worked with the birds. Okay. Well, that's birds are fun. Birds are interesting. Um, A lot of them were, um, I guess, yielded or given up by people who had them as pets and realized they were too much work. So a lot of them were emotionally damaged birds. Aww. Which was sad, but... I learned a lot about bird care and also animal care. Like, don't get a pet if you don't know how to take care of it or how long it's going to live or anything about it. Absolutely. Just because you watched the movie Rio. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. That's totally a thing. I That's, like, reminding me of, like, that one time that guy had, like, a, a literal zoo in Zanesville and, like, he, like, let all the animals go. Like, he just let them go. Like, um... Which is not good, because they were in Ohio, and, like, they don't belong there. It was, like, tigers and lions and, like, things like that. It was not good. Um, but speaking of caring for animals, um, you are here to tell us about toxins and pollution in the water. And that's a topic that I've kind of neglected on this podcast, because um, I've had such a heavy focus on salmon, and then on the in the last few weeks on vessel noise and all of that craziness. Um so do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, what you know about marine toxins and how that's impacting our Southern residents? Yeah. So I first started learning about this with Lulu, the whale that washed up on the shore in Scotland. Um, she was strangled by a fishing net and then died and was washed ashore. But upon the autopsy, they found that she was heavily contaminated with PCBs, which are polychlorinated um, biphenols. Mm-hmm. Um and they were once widely used in a bunch of different things. It was used in coolants and pesticides and plastics and um, just kind of would end up in the water in different areas. And so this pod, particularly in Scotland, is super heavily polluted. Um, they have a lot of other issues too. They're functionally extinct, basically. Mm. Um, and part of it can be because of the pollution. Most of it is just inbreeding that they had within their, their pods. Um, but in, and then in 1979, these PCBs were banned in the U.S. However, that did not stop them from wreaking havoc. They, the Southern residents are actually one of the most polluted marine species in the world mm-hmm. based off of blubber samples that we've gotten from autopsies. Um, and these PCBs are just really damaging. They work as um, um, like hormone blockers, essentially. Mm-hmm same as a lot of plastics like BPA. PCB is very similar um, to BPA. It's hydrophobic and it persists really, really heavily and severely in nature. It 
how it gets into an animal essentially is um, it can stick to the sediment, which is then eaten by smaller creatures. And then that works completely up the food chain. So it's just a form of bioacclimation. And as it works up, it gets more and more severe, a lot like mercury in sharks or pilot whales that we know in um, the Faroe Islands, how it's like they really shouldn't be eating a ton of pilot whale, be- pilot whale meat because it's so heavily polluted with mercury and other things because they are the top predator and these pollutants bioacclimate. Mm-hmm which is no, no good. No good. And we know that's one of the three major things that are driving the Southern residents towards extinction. Um, and yeah. that original whale you talked about, she was an orca too, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Lulu was an orca. Okay. She was, how old was she? I don't remember how old she was. She was past her age of sexual maturity, however. Um, but she had no calves. She was completely infertile. Mm. And there are a lot of things that could lead into that. One, there is a study about the inbreeding in that pod that Mm. has a huge impact, of course. Mm. But um, with hormone, um, I don't know, blocking, estrogenic kind of Mm. um, pollutants that does impact the way an animal can breed and reproduce. Mm. And these PCBs have been cited as harming the reproduction in several different cetacean species, Mm -hmm. um, like belugas is one. Um, their PCB levels that are found in wildlife, um, they, those particular species and animals do have lower reproduction Mm -hmm. successes. Yeah. So. Which is crucial right now because we don't have very many reproductive females left in the Southern resident population. And then, you know, um, obviously with 74 individuals left, like we need to do every, every single thing that we can. Um, yeah, that's so what, how did these PCBs get to the animals? Yeah. So most of it was before 1970, for us in the U S is before 1979, before PCBs were banned was just, we didn't have the best way to manage how we got rid of chemicals we didn't like. Mm-hmm. We usually just dumped in the water. Um, pollution wasn't a huge thing we cared about with like different plastics. Um, water runoff is a huge thing. Even mm-hmm. like I'm from Arizona, me using a coolant that contained a PCB would, and then it runs off into the your groundwater one that impacts us as humans that we are now consuming that. But mm-hmm. runoff is a huge issue that when we are just using things willy nilly, that ends back up in the ocean, like you know, in Nemo. Mm-hmm. All drains lead to the ocean. Yes, you gotta be careful with what you're using. Absolutely, and like that just goes to show that everyone from anywhere can do anything. Um, you and I were just on a clubhouse chat. I think somebody asked like what like they could do because like they weren't from the Pacific Northwest. And like, that just goes to show in any state, like you could be mindful of your PCBs and that could help the Southern residents. Yeah. And any kind of, that's any kind of pollutant, even like now with plastics, BPAs, um, all these different like chemicals that come off of the plastics we use now, it's not PCBs, um, primarily like Mm -hmm. they're banned. But there are other chemicals that do just as much harm that bioacclimate within us. I mean, plastic itself will bioacclimate because it's mm-hmm. broken up so tiny now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have nanoplastics that we're literally eating and that oh doesn't God. just really go away. Right. No, not at all. So this can primarily pa- impact their reproductive health. Um, and then it makes it like bad for other animals to eat them. Are there any other negative side effects of this? Or does that like kind of cover it, the two main things? Uh, For the main part, it really is, um, it just impacts reproduction. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so that happened it's happened with dolphins in florida i have a statistic or thing right here that says um in i can't speak in a bay in florida it's sasa sasota i have no idea mm. i've never been to, been there but in florida the female reproductive success wait is, sarasota there's no r it just says s-a-s-a-s-o-t-a okay all right that's soda that's why i thought i thought it was there it's not maybe it's a typo potentially but maybe not i don't know if it's a scientific paper um, i don't know continue it's okay yeah only um half of the firstborn calves of dolphins survived through their first year compared to 70 percent of survival rate in subsequent calves in other areas and this particular pod has the uh, very high pcb pollution rate um con- concentrations of pcb in their uh, bodies um so reproduction is, and especially with Southern residents, that is like our biggest concern yeah. is how PCBs um, impact their ability to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Um, in cetaceans, it's primarily cited as reduced testosterone levels, um, impaired reproduction, and mm-hmm. in some species it has caused like hermaphrodite organs to form. So like in the formation of a calf in the womb, essentially things just get messed up in short that prevents them from being able to like successfully reproduce That's so that happened with i'm trying to find the uh, species that it was cited la, la, la. Uh, if it was in florida it was probably bottlenose um yeah there's a no there it was a beluga one that there's a beluga population in st lawrence estuary okay. um that it says the rate of pregnancy of beluga whales was only 3% compared to 35% from the Canadian Arctic and suggested that this could be linked to organ chlorines. Scientists mm-hmm. have also reported finding a true hermaphrodite and a pseudo-hermaphrodite beluga within this population. Holy cow, I didn't even know that. That's insane. So that's the danger of PCBs. That's the danger <laughs> right there hermaphroditic whales and they're cited with decreased otter and mink reproduction so the, it, it impacts land mammals too pcbs is not just aquatic mammals yeah um but there are plenty of um, longfin pilot whales narwhals minky whales and then otters and minks little mm-hmm. cute little rodents um when they have higher pcb levels than other populations or other individuals they have less reproductive success which is not good, especially in populations that are going down. Um, yep. <laughs> cool. So we need to like get on that. So what what do you think that people can do on an individual level to get rid of these? I'm sure that there's probably some representative that we should write, and I'm definitely will admit that I'm more ignorant on this issue than the other two. Um, but what can people do, kind of on their own, in the meantime? Yeah. Well, it's kind of hard it's already in their bloodstream. There's Mm -hmm. not much we can do unless there's some magic way we can get rid of it. Um, But the best thing is that I feel like we learn from the mistake of the chemicals that we are just using willy nilly. I know for me learning this is I'm very stingy about what I am using, especially even in hair care. Um, Even when I didn't live by the ocean, that's I love like the company Stream to See mm-hmm. for their name. Stream to See is anything that you use, hair care, body, like your lotion, your sunscreen, that can have an impact when as soon as that washes off in the shower, because our streams lead to our seas. You know, all of our water's connected, um, and so watching your chemical intake because there's other chemicals that are harmful. It's not just PCBs. Now, the more like we just use things and don't check it, 
we could be putting more harmful pollutants and adding to the issue and in smaller species as well. Um, we know with like oxybenzone that that has a negative impact on corals. Mm-hmm. It's a little debated because the concentration tends to be the argument of how concentrated is it that it impacts corals. But we know from studies and labs that it does have an impact. And if it gets so bad that we will start seeing more wild corals impacted by um, our oxybenzone and different chemicals that we use in our sunscreens. Yeah. And that's why switching to a reef safe sunscreen is important because you can help prevent um, potential coral and even like just one coral, like you could have sunscreen on your hand and touch a, don't touch coral. But mm-hmm. if you did and you have sunscreen on your hand, that could directly impact those polyps. Um, especially in really touristy areas where we're all just spraying on sunscreen, um, using reef safe alternatives or wearing a rash guard. That's mm-hmm. the most reef safe form of sunscreen is just wearing something long sleeved. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, even with your hair care, if you live in Arizona, I would always recommend switching to a more natural, eco-friendly option. You may not think you're impacting the ocean, but you may be. And your own hair. Yes. There's like a, there's currently a lawsuit against a ton of different shampoo and conditioner companies that you can just find at like Walgreens and Target that contain formaldehyde. Oh my god. That and it gets activated when it touches. I think someone might listen to this and be like, that's not really right. This is my understanding of of the lawsuit is that there's a strain of formaldehyde in it that when it reacts with water, it actually causes damage to your hair. And that's getting in the water. Yeah. So just being really conscious of what we're doing now so we can prevent other populations from getting polluted. And part of that is also like plastics. I always say watch what you're plastic. I don't cook things in plastic Tupperwares anymore because I'm so paranoid of the plastic that leaches out as soon as you heat up. The chemicals that leach out of plastic when you heat it up. I went to a great, um, there's a vegan festival in on Oahu every year. Mm-hmm. And the founder of an organization called Beach, which stands for something. Mm-hmm. Let me look it up. Um, Beach Environmental Awareness Campaign Hawaii. Um, she is super intelligent, the founder, um, and gave an incredible talk about all the pollutants that plastic causes and it's more than just an eyesore that we see on the beach and things that sea turtles eat like oh no they eat plastic um when we're heating stuff up with plastic in a plastic tupperware chemicals are leaching from that into our food um which made me very uneasy yeah getting a phone call so sorry no worries it happens more often than you would think (laughs) um I don't, my Google's connected to my phone now, so I get them all on my computer. Yeah, that's how mine is, too. I can't, like, turn my text notifications off without, like, turning, yeah, the sound off. Um, anyway, so, yeah, that's uh, continuing to put pressure on, like, the production of virgin plastics and just whatever chemicals that we're using and watching. That's my biggest. yeah. Um, I'm going to just also plug Lush real quick because you were talking about oh, brands yeah, that I you like. Yes. Uh, I like, I'm biased because I like spent two Christmases working at Lush's one in Tucson, Arizona and one in Tampa. And, um, yeah, no, but that brand, it like, uh, everything smells amazing. Well, not everything, but most things smell amazing and all of it can go into the ocean. It's like ethically sourced and they'll tell you about where they get their ingredients and, they want to make sure that where they get the ingredients are even, like, environmentally friendly, too. It's not just, like, oh, like, like the people are taken care of. 
the environment's taken care of. I mean, obviously it's not perfect, um, but they definitely do a, I like the best job that I've personally seen. Um, and I'm glad to hear that there's other brands that are out there doing that, but they even have, what got me hooked was they have, um, like the shampoo bars. So it's like, there's no plastic in your shampoo and the shampoo bars are awesome. Um, so yeah, that's another one. I like, um, I will admit I had my first exposure to Lush in like the last two months. Mm-hmm. I'd always seen it at malls, but I never went in. So I was like, that's expensive. I know. But I, we went in and I, we, I got a bath bomb and a conditioner bar, but I was looking at, they have these little, um, like lotion bars and each of them have like a cause that you, when you buy that little one, it, the money goes directly to that cause. Yeah. One of them is Fork to the Well Research. Oh my gosh, um, yes. But they also have little stickers that say who made that bar. Yes. And again, like you, people would be like, how do you know that's real? Um, I think that's awesome anyway, is that they're aware that people make our products. It's not just like they're not pushing it at some random like building in another country that just to get you a cheap product, like someone with a name has made your product. And that's why their stuff is so expensive. And like I'm, you know, like you probably more on the side of like conserving finances because like green people in this field don't make a lot of money like that's the reality of it um but that's one of the places that I will like invest in because like it's a company worth investing in because like they have those ethics and those morals and then like and I know that everything that I wash down the drain is gonna be fine and like they also found a way to make biodegradable glitter which is very important to me so <laughs> when they have like their their take back program for their little black yeah. um, containers mm-hmm. which is awesome that incites you to give it back and then they will reuse it and there's actually this influencer i really like um shell bisley has she's awesome but she actually went to tour lush's um one of their factories to see if they're greenwashing because she wanted to see because mm-hmm. she likes to like kind of talk about greenwashing and how sustainable is a company really and how can you tell if something's greenwashing so they invited her to come do a tour and she actually got to see like how things are made their give back program for those um those containers and that they are actually taking the back not everyone does it but they can't help that they have that option there mm-hmm. that if you want to go give it back or have the incentive and just not throw it away that it is there and they will completely reuse that item yeah which is awesome I love Lush. Yes. They smell so good. And yeah, I love, I think it's, I, and it's definitely like a luxury to just be able to go and afford Lush. I do. I will tell people like with shampoo and conditioner bars, it is like obviously more expensive than just buying the, I don't know what's like a a Pantene shampoo container, but they're really concentrated. So I feel like they last longer than just your basic bottle of shampoo at least in my case I think so too like if yeah it lasts longer if not the same amount um and I have pretty long hair but yeah no it's definitely a privilege to be able to shop at Lush if you can and and that's a huge thing too is like that's a big barrier for people and no shame to anyone who can't afford it that is 100% not your fault that's somebody else's fault um but yeah um they're a great company for sure. And so you had kind of touched on an influencer friend of yours and you're also an influencer. And, um, briefly before this conversation, we kind of talked about like, I like, I'm not very shy on this platform about how much I don't like social media and whatever. And we talked about <laughs> how there's different information out there and there's different influencers and like, they're, there are really only two influencers that like I pay attention to or that like I care about. And one is you and then Jordan Lerma as well. Um, 
mostly just because I feel like you guys speak up for what's right and like you know um like both of you guys have quality content I like your content is just like constant I feel like all the time and like it's always something new which is awesome for someone like me who like is so hyper focused on one issue that it's like cool to see different other things but what is like kind of your experience like in that field and kind of what challenges have you faced when you know trying to share science because that's obviously a, a pretty clear value of yours yeah um I've gotten like really interesting messages from people. Um, and I think I talked about this with Jordan on my podcast. Um, but I was telling him how I got a DM when, when the Navy um, proposal was happening in August, mm -hmm. I read through like all, I think it was like 40 plus pages of their proposal on all their takes for every species. Mm -hmm. And I tried to simplify it down so that obviously people don't wanna read all 40 pages because mm -hmm. it was such a headache to read, but just so people can get a gist of what they are proposing, what a take means, what species they're allowed, they're asking for a take. So it was more than just the, the Southern residents, mm -hmm. which I didn't want people just to be speaking up, obviously speak up for the Southern residents, but all these other species were proposed to have takes and some were going to be um, a level a take which is essentially they mm -hmm. if they killed one they're allowed to kill so many a year which i was like that's not okay yeah but anyway i got a message from someone who saw my um my petition to sign their petition to um further ban researchers from being able to like tag and um a give medicine to the southern residents when they're sick and the basis of this was with scarlet when she was sick that researchers were you know chasing her down to give try to administer medication the different researchers that apply the d tags there was petition that they should no longer be allowed to do that that it is um invasive and harmful and um hurts the species and i kind of was like i saw it and i i don't even think i replied because i didn't want to like start anything but like as a researcher who has friends that work with shark tagging and knows people that do the D tags on the Southern residents and other cetaceans. I was like, I see the, I see the upsetness obviously like disrupting an animal, but um, there's always, I was kind of like, that makes me as a researcher feel like if I go and like tag an animal, there's now a petition against me. Or if I promote a study that is using tag data that we learn from and get awesome information from that that is now harmful and bad and the researchers don't care and that was like the implication that like I don't know it was weird and so I didn't reply but I then started looking at like realizing the division because I think we all think conservation and research are best friends and go hand in hand but sometimes I feel like there is a division between a conservationist and a researcher um that people from the outside may not realize when they just see us all on Instagram and we all follow each other and we all talk to each other or seem like we do. Um, I follow people that I don't always agree with, with what they say, but, and that's not, and me just following them doesn't mean that I agree with everything they're promoting. Um, and that was one thing I'm just like, I have friends that do that. And the research we get from tagging can be really vital for new regulations and new studies and understanding a species that, is that little bit of time where the animal is obviously like going to be stressed out to deploy a tag and deploy medication worth what we're going to get in the end the data yeah. from a dive the data from where they're going medication like that could have potentially saved scarlet or mm -hmm. saved another animal is that worth it over that bit of stress that they'll experience when we chase them down it's like 
when we take our animal to the vet, they're obviously not happy, but we still take our animals to the vet. Yeah. A little different, obviously. A little but. different, but I mean, I agree, like, with what you're saying, and I think given that the Southern residents are in such a dire state, like, any information on them is helpful. Um, and I think you brought up a kind of a crucial point, too, where you said, like, you know, when people put a petition out there, it makes you feel like as a researcher, you're being attacked. And you said that there's also a division and like, oh my God, unfortunately that's so clear with with this community right now, at least to me and so many of the other people in it. Um, but like, it it feels like a constant attack. Like, and I don't think that's a productive way to have a conversation. I think it's important too that you said like, you maybe you don't agree with what everybody says, but like, you can still like not agree and have a, have a nice pleasant conversation and not like go on the defense but I feel like everybody on in this field is like on the defense sometimes oh yeah that's why like I didn't reply to that because I was just like I don't want to engage because I see where you're coming from I see that it, it it is disruptive it does like stress out an animal obviously um but from from then on now when I like see things I kind of think in the back of my head and I didn't like feel attacked necessarily um, just more so like I now kind of have this weird guard that like as a researcher, um, when I promote something that a conservationist may or whoever may see that and like take offense. And that's not that's not the intention. That wasn't this person's intention. I think they had every good intention in the world to promote this petition to stop chasing killer whales, which but and I understand that. But from a research perspective, from that con- from the, even the conservation perspective of like with it was with Scarlet, and I look at things with like the vaquita. There's the documentary Sea of Shadows where they show when they caught this. I think it was an adult female vaquita, and just to see if they could catch them viably mm-hmm. to then try and save their species. Like if we can catch a vaquita and get it to live, let's catch them all and take them somewhere and have them breed and start to rebound their species. But within 24 hours, I think that female died from stress. Yeah. Um, which is obviously that's awful. Like that's not, we don't, we didn't want that outcome, but then we then know, but if she had survived, that would have been vital to know. Cause then she would have proven, Oh, we can catch these, these animals and try to start to save them in a really productive way. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like we, t- <laughs> we took an L with her. Mm-hmm. So sorry like that. It was awful, but we could have taken a W and and been able to maybe successfully get a rebound for her species. Obviously, and now the vaquita, they're past the point of no return, mm-hmm. which is heartbreaking. But we tried everything we could, and that last ditch effort was the catch. Yeah, um, and I and think that's I, I don't want to. Pet- I wouldn't petition yeah. that because we had to try. Absolutely, and like that's the thing I think is that like like research has definitely gotten better and oh my god they did some shady things in the beginning like the amount of people that like as a joke when I'd be like oh yeah like I'm working on this dolphin study they'd be like oh like that NASA one where they like gave a dolphin acid and like jerked it off (laughs) and I'm like no I'm like we've moved we've moved on um we don't do that anymore we don't do that anymore okay but like we like you know we know enough to like be able to get less intrusive data than that like we're not doing that like and we know that that's not ethical and like in the past apparently we didn't know that and we needed science to figure that out I'm unclear why um but anyways um yeah but like you know um there there are still things that we don't know and like we do have to make like calculated risks and I think that's the unfortunate reality of things is people want like a guarantee and they want 
Um, you know, certain answers are they, they, you know, they don't, that, that gives them a reason to not trust research. And I like, like researchers are still people. Politicians are still people. Like everybody's still a person and like mistakes. It's like, okay to make mistakes. And unfortunately, sometimes those mistakes are like dire. And like, that's just the reality of it, unfortunately. Because like you said, like if, if that risk wouldn't have, like if that risk would have been taken and then they would have found that, that they could do that then we would have probably saved the vaquita. Like, yeah. so it just, you have to weigh it all out. And it's like, oftentimes these issues are very complex. And I just recommend that people do their research research before jumping to conclusions or like have a conversation. Um, but it's hard to have conversations when people are just like immediately defensive. And like, that's just not like, I, I don't know, it's not a productive use of our time. And like, it's unfortunate because the whole reason everybody's so heated is because we all share that same passion for animals. Yeah, we're all connected that way. Yeah, um, and it's important to remember that at the end of the day. But, yeah. Those are, I guess, my thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, taking risks with research. We kind of talked about this a little bit before the episode started, too. Like, we were talking about all of the whale-watching opinions and stuff. And one of the things I failed to bring up on the podcast with Gloria is I feel that sometimes when we, like, so when the whale-watch community pulls apart the studies that have been done over the years and says that they're bad for this reason or that reason or whatever, it kind of creates a distrust in science in general. And like, why would the public believe salmon science, but not this science? And like, why should they believe salmon science, but not this science? And so I think we have to be really, really mindful of the way that we articulate things. And like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's difficult because like one of the things that I've learned and I'm sure like you're learning this too um, is not everybody's in the field for the right reasons. And that's sad. <laughs> like, I just expected that everybody wanted to save the orcas and that everyone loved the orcas and wanted to do what was best for them. And when, like, when I say what's best, like what scientifically is, has been shown to be best for them, not people's opinions or people wanting to be close to them. Yeah. Well, it's like, I'm guilty of things as well. <laughs> like, and so many examples of when I've been guilty of, either perpetuating a weird division or just misinformation. Like one um, about the vajita actually is my, one of my professors, his, um, one of his professors when he was in school actually worked on um, a lot of the fishing and Tobata issues Mm -hmm. in the um, Sea of Cortez where the vajita are, sorry, I forgot what it was called. Mm -hmm. And he actually, um, (laughs) he was telling us this, me and my, my coworker that he watched his professor get into a huge fight with a Vaquita activist because the activist was being really xenophobic towards um, the people of, of Mexico in that area who obviously like need fishing to survive. And um, I had seen the Sea of Shadows documentary and it really, it shows a bit of this big debacle with the Tobata, with the catching and how a lot of the people in Mexico um, in that area where like vaquitas aren't real because they'd never seen one. Mm. And his professor actually had the opportunity to work with the people in that area um, on um, more so fisheries data. And a lot of them really were like, I've literally never seen this little mammal. And so they weren't really aware. And then um, the illegal fishing of the Tobata was a big issue for them as well. Mm. But at the same time, like that's a lot of the ways that they're helping their family. And a lot of the um, activists were kind of coming in and, just villainizing everyone mm-hmm. against 
the the fisherman and this professor obviously has close bonds and he got in this big fight and through this conversation i was kind of like i feel like i've blindly been supporting a lot of of vikita efforts um which is which has its benefits and it's obviously not benefits but that was one thing that made me look deeper into what i support that obviously there are two sides um and that pushed me to always support conservation efforts that are solution based and not just add like no save the vaquita it's like okay well what about like the fishermen who are impacted same with shark fishing um supporting projects like project q and the thresher shark project indonesia where they're helping the fishermen not just banning shark fishing because that doesn't help anything but the sharks and then that drives an that drives um that actually increases illegal fishing when you just outwardly ban it that's the only way these people make money yeah and so and i've learned because i would share stuff and people would be like hey let me kind of share some insight on the other side and that's my professor did we were talking about the vaquita and he goes let me share the other side because i actually have personal experience with some of these vaquita activists who are very mean and racist yeah Um, absolutely and then with the whale watching stuff too like i've had people be like hey maybe like i know you're not in the community which is fine but just like before you just share something someone posts let's look at the data the research and not just repost something yeah which is like a great idea always and and you know everybody supports organizations or things or ideas potentially some like everyone has that experience of like just reposting or just sharing because they trust something and like yeah unfortunately we can't trust everything and like what i'm learning is i wanted to trust every orca organization that is up in the san juan islands and i'm coming to find out the more doors that i open that i can't and there are some really sound scientific groups like Center for Whale Research, Wild Orca, and I'm not like saying that every other organization is not, but I'm saying that those are two organizations I've done research on and have confidence in, like 100% confidence in. A whale museum, 100% confidence. But like, um, it's, yeah, it's definitely easy to fall into that trap. And it's like, I think it's important too that you brought up that you were like willing to, you know, maybe change your perspective because I think that's another thing that we as humans sometimes do is like we like well I already said this and I've already dug this hole and now I've said this so I have to stay this way and like that's not the case and like I've had a couple people like since posting a lot of the stuff about whale watching come forward and be like hey that's really cool that you like changed your perspective with new information I'm like well that's like kind of how it should be you know (laughs) um and please more people do that down your pride (laughs) yeah like my pride doesn't matter like whether or not a southern resident survives is like what matters so like cool like if I take an L on like my ego like whatever like it's like and who cares about my ego not like no one and I don't care enough it's like like at the end of the day it's it's about the residents um yeah I've had to go back and correct myself so many times on things it happens yeah and and that's the thing though too is like it's okay to like learn and move forward and I think that's like just like a toxic part of our culture of just in general kind of being performative and um like holding everybody to perfect standards that are unachievable like that's just not healthy for anybody so I think like by you know allowing people to make mistakes or be like oh yeah I believe this and now I believe something differently and like just allowing that to happen I think is helpful too because like we don't want to like hold people to like well you said this one time you know so that's what you mean um but yeah changing opinions it's it's interesting and yeah like you said things are happening up in the whale watching industry and it's like it's sad to see because 
the whale watching people have much more of an influence, I think, than they realize, or maybe they do realize it and just don't, I don't know. But like, um, that's who people see on the internet. That's where like, and that's where most like random people from square states in the middle of the United States are going to come in contact with a killer whale is over Instagram or something. And so to have like certain narratives push, it just like creates a, a divide in the community that just like doesn't feel healthy. And also like, I like have gotten feedback from other people because I'm always asking for feedback on the podcast, especially from like friends or family members who don't know about the Southern residents. I'm like, for you who does not care about this whale at all, like what, what would be, how would this like be easier for you? And they're like, well, there's so much information out there. It looks like a lot of it's very conflicting and you don't know who to believe. And I'm like, oh geez, you know? So I feel like we have to be on the same page, I guess. But what is your recommendation to people who like are looking to follow good content on social media that is like scientifically sound um i feel like and i don't it's kind of hard because like i feel like you can follow people and it can just be fun Mm -hmm. but um i guess citing is one thing but i don't always cite that's the thing Mm -hmm. um and plus sometimes citing a study people can go look at it and you have to pay so it doesn't always help yeah but citing's a big one um i feel like sometimes if they don't jump right on an issue right when it happens is one thing um or share maybe the many aspects of it so um i know with like shark finning issues i will try to just promote um, organizations that have worked for solutions and not just banning Mm -hmm. um like trades or shark fishing like ones that that i named earlier that are working towards solutions for the shark fishermen to give them a viable income because I don't want people just to like lose their income to support their family. Yeah. Um, And supporting like sound science, like looking into it when you see something published, check the article. If it has the science, read it. Mm -hmm. And maybe you look back at that influencer or whoever Mm -hmm. who posted it, especially if it's an influencer who like has a degree, I would always say to maybe hold them accountable for what they're reposting. Even me. If I post something, I want to be called out or called, not called out, but, um, held accountable, held accountable. You can message me and be like, Hey, which people have done that happened to me with the whale watching thing. People said, Hey, here's the study. Maybe don't just in a nice way. It wasn't rude, but maybe don't just repost something you see about this, this regulation. There are benefits to it. And then I read the study and I read, um, the articles and I read the supplementary, um, data that has been going on for years and I was like oh yeah I agree like this is beneficial I see why people are upset and I want that to be you know validated appropriately of course Mm -hmm. but I also completely understand why we're putting in regulations to help these animals and I want to promote that and I still promoted like other voices I've promoted kind of both sides to be like hey here's what's going on like listen to this read this but then also read and listen to this kind of see And mostly because you can hear someone maybe like say, oh, I don't understand why the study said this, but then someone else shares the information about the study and is able to explain it. Sometimes we read stuff in studies and don't know what the hell it's saying. I know I do that Yeah. because I don't know everything. I I have a degree in science. I like studying marine biology. I've read so many research papers, but I read some and I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. And then someone else makes a video and is like, let me explain it. I'm like, oh. Yes. And that's like, 
yeah, that's super helpful too. And I think that's the thing that we have to go into is like in these conversations as well. It's just like knowing that sometimes people just aren't going to get it. And also like, it's definitely intimidating to read science if you don't have a science degree, but also like I, when I was going through all the whale watching studies, there were definitely certain things that I was like, what does that mean? And I like would have to like detour and go Google it. And like, there's nothing wrong with that either. Like just ask questions if you don't know, but you're right. It's so important to show all sides and you like had highlighted, you know, not wanting, you know, people to kick the fishermen all out, out because like the whale watchers not having their jobs is not a solution. The people down at the dams not yeah. having their jobs, not a solution like at all. Um, so like finding a way to replace that, but like, there's an example. I was like talking to my roommate about this, which is, it's funny that you like have been using the term solutions as I was like, I don't understand because like I have been very fortunate and I was very privileged in college to get scholarships to go study abroad and Two, I went to two places where I met poachers, one in Tanzania and one in Costa Rica. And I remember the Tanzanian poachers who were still poachers at the time saying that they didn't like what they did and like saying that even when they shot a giraffe, they would cry because like of the sound that it makes and then when it hits the ground and how like they had to feed their families and that was like the reality for them. Um, and then the other poacher that I, and so like there's no judgment and they're not bad people for doing that. Like they're yeah. doing what they have to do. They're in a situation. Um, and the other guy that I met was in Costa Rica, and this one is, like, my favorite story. Very remarkable. So he used to poach leatherback sea turtle eggs because that those are of high, you know, monetary value there. And, like, he's able to support his family that way. Same situation as the other poachers. And um, so he was doing that. Did he want to do that? No. Leatherback sea turtles are critically endangered. Like that, And, and Costa Rica is super environmentally friendly. Like, of course he didn't want to do that. Like, um but when an opportunity came up for him with an organization to help conserve the um, leatherback sea turtles, he took that. So he now works for an organization that harvests or that like works with um, helping to kind of cover up the tracks so that they don't get found by poachers. And because that he was a poacher, he was able to use his knowledge to like know these things. But he made that switch because it like is what he wanted to do. And I had said that to my roommate of like, oh yeah like kind of like it's crazy how he made that switch and she was like maybe the whale watching people need a solution but also like it's not as much of a dire state i don't think of yeah. like you know anywho but yeah like solutions you're right like seeing all sides of it like not just being like hey we're just here for the orcas and like screw the humans and like everybody else that's around this like that's not a realistic approach either yeah it's like people are upset like Part of it is livelihood. Part of it is obviously like there may be that self, I wouldn't say selfish, but that desire that obviously we all want to see the whales mm -hmm. and we're bonded. And many of these whale watchers are bonded to the Southern residents. And um, I think it's it's valid to be upset, but I don't think it's, <laughs> it's valid to then kind of like devalue the research and um, be mean or rude to each other. Yeah. And in any community, it's like it, it doesn't, just because you disagree with shark fishing doesn't mean you can just be racist to like people in Asia. And I've had, I've gotten in so many issues with the shark trade because uh, all of it's pinpointed at China. Mm -hmm. Indonesia is the biggest shark fishing trade. And a lot of people will just leave mean comments and be like, Oh, those Chinese and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I have to be like, Hey, like these aren't evil people. Like the poachers, they're not evil people. Yeah. I, I highly, believe that not all they're not just like i love to kill sharks yeah. and i love to kill turtles it's that's how they feed their family yeah literally. if you were put in the same situation i feel like you'd take that you'd feed your family yeah because it's like survival at that point and 
Yeah. No, I agree. Like, I don't... I don't think that most people want to go out and, like, harm animals. Like, that's not the goal. Like, yeah, of course there are, like, some of those, like, you know, safari people that are like, oh, my God, I need to shoot a lion to, like, prove my masculinity. Yeah, fishermen. Yeah. yeah, like, things like that. But I don't think that that's the vast majority of people. That's very different than, an, like, an impoverished family in another country. That yeah. They're, and they're barely getting paid. That's another thing. Is The whole other thing is that what they're getting paid to for these animals for the product mm-hmm. is so bad that like it barely supports them mm-hmm. and so a lot of times when we find a solution like maybe switching from shark fishing to ecotourism let's take people out to the sites to see the sharks and not fish them they can get paid more and yeah. obviously that's an incentive enough to yeah. switch absolutely like and and that's the thing is like why we have to be like you know so solution focused and like it like why it's better to just like focus on you know what we can do as opposed to focusing on all the negatives and like nitpicking every single thing that we can you know because I feel like that's what I see a lot of like so we saw that Mike Simpson um just put out the like the new idea for you know um knocking the dams down the lower snake river dams and like I've seen a lot of people really quick to like nitpick it but I'm also like um okay this is the furthest that we've gotten in so long like holy crap we need to appreciate that like yeah it's it's insane yeah Yeah. the timeline is not ideal and that's like the push is to um get the timeline pushed up to the media um but we don't need to like it's like be happy it's kind of like I'll you know politics reference the election yes um obviously a lot of people were happy with the results and there were some people then that were pushing back, like, oh, these aren't good people either. But let people be relieved for a second. Let us kind of rejoice in a win. Let us rejoice in the win for the dams that someone's proposing. And he's not even in the state from Idaho. Yeah. Obviously, Idaho is impacted by the dams. Um, obviously. But, like, not we, we all pressure Inslee, Trudeau, the locals up over here. Um, and Idaho's, the Idaho representative's the one that was like, hey, 10 years, bridge the dam. A very conservative Republican. Yeah, Idaho very cons- Yeah, that was another thing. We might add in there. Holy cow! Like things are changing, um, so that's amazing. And I feel like if we, you know, like kind of reward the politicians to be like, like thank, thank you, thank like you. just show them our gratitude. <laughs> like that's gonna yeah. go further than being like, oh my god, why would you do this? Because like I'm sure that they're like strong, emotionally like healthy people for the most part, but like. That's, like, I don't think anybody would enjoy being yelled at like that all the time. Like, they are still humans, too. And, like, that bill seemed to encompass a lot of things, like, so far based on what he wrote. Like, it wasn't obviously perfect. It's never going to be. Like, that's not a realistic expectation. But, like, we're getting places. We're, like, and that's such a good thing, you know? Um, Yeah. But, yeah. No. I'm I'm excited for, for, like, where things are going. I do think... Like, I see big changes happening, and, like, it is really hard to, you know, and I, I think we talked about this a little bit before, try to, like, I don't know, have to, I didn't know that I was going to have to fight with people who also loved animals, like, is what it feels like. And so it makes a big difference, like, talking to people like you and seeing, like, this new bill getting passed and, like, you know, talking to Gloria and seeing all these other people who are willing to, like, go to bat for for the whales. Um, and I genuinely do think things are going to happen sooner than later yeah so yeah we should work together absolutely do you have any final thoughts for people and i always ask people what we can learn from the whales but i'd like to know what you think we can learn from sharks 
Um, that's a good one. So with sharks, um, I feel like definitely what I learned was what people say about you is not always true. Okay. <laughs> and that may sound like weird, but like everyone's always like, oh, sharks are scary. Sharks are out to get you. And yeah, um, which I believed I was terrified of sharks for so long. But um, when we're in the water with sharks, I'm the more deadly person, like more deadly individual. I've humans kill. I think it's about 7,000 sharks an hour. Um, Whoa. We kill oh over my God. a million sharks, um, like 70 million sharks a year. Like Holy sharks sh- are being fished like exponentially. Like, it's incredibly just devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, and telling people that on tours was always so interesting is because they don't realize it. And we do it after they've been in the water and they've had a great experience safely with sharks and that, you know, you're more deadly than the shark, but they're getting the worst reputation. Um, every people tend to have bad things to say. Um, so if you like reflect on that yourself, like people Mm -hmm. may say bad things about you, but you kind of, you may always know who you are, always know like who you can be. Um, and your own ability. Another thing is sharks are just insanely calm and elegant, mm-hmm. which is, we can all be calm and elegant. Mm-hmm. And even though we may seem really, really scary, um, but yeah, sharks are incredible. And I learned a lot from diving with sharks about myself and about like conservation and how the ocean works as an ecosystem. That's incredible. Um, that is like an answer that, cause I feel like a lot of the answers I get with between the salmon and the orca are fairly similar of like resilience, community, like, you know, like all that good stuff that we love, but that's a new answer that we haven't heard on here before, which is pretty cool. Um, and now I want to go hang out with a shark and learn, learn something about life and about the ocean. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Stay, stay cool and calm guys. If we could like act like a shark in this and then like also have like that fierceness that we perceive sharks as having, we can get so much done. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. And, and obviously sharks can't understand what is being said about them. Right. Yeah. But. <laughs> and maybe that's the trick. Maybe that's why like they're so cool and calm is because they're busy not paying attention to what anyone says, you know, yeah. which obviously is a conscious choice, not because they can't hear us underwater and they don't speak English. Because they're ignoring us. There's obviously flaws to my analogy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was like, mostly joking no, I, there. Yes. Yeah, that's me too. Just like my, it's not perfect, but that's kind of what I think is like, they have a bad reputation. Not that we all have bad reputations, but just yeah, seeing the, the, the positives in ourselves. Yes. Um, and even like reflecting, like looking at a shark. It also like just helps you understand your humanness and our impact as a human. Just looking at a shark and knowing all the statistics and and data we have on overfishing, on um, like the complete decimation of shark populations in, in areas, that I can make a change with me, and mm-hmm. that I need to because as a human, like I'm human. That's a shark. I am driving sharks to extinction, and for some species, extremely rapidly. Mm-hmm. But I can say something and make a change. And even like taking someone out on a tour, mm-hmm. they see that sharks are not awful and they may now want to speak up for it. And that was the whole thing yeah. is like, now you've seen one and you didn't get bit and it didn't come get you. And it was beautiful. They were majestic and gorgeous and we had a beautiful experience. Now you may just be a little more inclined to stand up for shark, to mm-hmm. not buy that souvenir dead shark, to not buy 
a thing of shark fin soup if you go to Hong Kong. I don't know. Like, just that one little difference that that can make. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and, and that goes to show also, you know, a positive look on ecotourism that it's not all bad. Like, you know, some parts of it are bad and it is ho- highly complex. Um, but I think you definitely had some really good knowledge and insight to share with us. And I know that I learned a lot. So thank you for coming on here. And um, where can people follow you? And then what is the name of your podcast also? So people can follow that too. Oh, yes. So um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok um, <laughs> as Intertitle Kendi. And then my podcast is Intertitle Talks on Spotify, on anywhere you consume podcasts. Perfect. It is there. Um, and it's more so focused on like science communication. And I talk to different people in the marine science field um, partially just kind of share their story. So people who want to come into this field, see how diverse it is. Um, and then learn about different issues, different ways that we're doing conservation research and all that. I actually just had Jordan Lerma on. Amazing. That came out today. So, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to go listen. He was like kind of the final straw for me starting this podcast because like I've been like toying with the idea of a podcast for I don't know, like two years. And then like, I found a focus and then like, I met him on one of my boats and he was like telling me his story about how he like went from finance to where he is now and how he kind of just had this attitude of like, well, he didn't say this, but I could see it of just like, whatever, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. And like, just like made up a position for himself in in a sense. And I was like, I could do that. Like, that sounds like fun and so I was like that was like the last like push that I needed to like just be like okay we're just gonna do this um yeah I loved his input too it's very like everyone I've had on and even myself all have a marine science background Mm -hmm. but you know he came from finance and he was like I had nothing but photography and then now doing incredible research in um Hawaii and in the Sailor Sea yeah it's amazing we love so I was like please Yes. Yeah, his, his input's awesome. Go listen to her podcast with Jordan and then go follow both of them on Instagram. And thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Um, as always, go check out our Instagram page, Facebook, Twitter, etc. If you guys want to continue to support this project, feel free to um, go to our Patreon. You can do that there or just leave us a review. Um, I do want to do the whale of the week, though, before we go. So to end on a happy note, our whale of the week is going to be L125. Um, That is the new baby whale that is the daughter of Surprise L86. So Surprise had a 14-year age gap between her and her older sister Nugget, which is where she got the name Surprise, and then turned around and surprised us with a baby. How fitting. Um, She does have one of their offspring, L106. So that one's Puka. And she did have another offspring, Souk L112, um, who died in February of 2012. Um, it does look like this was the whale that um, Ken was referring to in that outside article that was recently published, the baby that had um, part of its brain disintegrated. So um, interesting to see that it's born to this whale at this time when the Navy's out to do all their testing. Um, but yeah, yay for the new birth of L125. Congratulations. And I hope you guys have a great week.